thank our worship team so much for the wonderful songs and the leading of the spirit that they have. I tried unsuccessfully this morning to get a replacement. <laughs> I, uh, I reminded Sharif of the day that him and I switched name tags, and I offered to give him mine this morning. He refused. Of course, Al's excuse was that I've got to do the soundboard. No one knows how to do it but me, and I'm the only one here. Uh, so I started looking around. I said, well, who else can I get? You know? And so there was no one. So you folks are in this morning, I hope, for some um, different things. Uh, you look at the title of, the, of our talk today, The Man Who Missed the Boat. Uh, when Marty called me, of course, he always calls you three or four weeks ahead of time, wants to know what's going to be in your sermon. And when I told him, there was this long silence on the other end. <laughs> and <laughs> he just said, okay, <laughs> what's your scripture? So I gave him the scripture, and he said, okay. So this morning, I got a wonderful text. He says, I'm praying for you. <laughs> and I was looking for the bottom of it to say, I hope you don't miss the boat. <laughs> I'll share with you later on where this came from. Uh, this morning's going to be a little bit different, you know, than, than anything that we have discussed before. Uh, first of all, let's, let's take a look at uh, Joshua 1 and, jo and in verse 9. And if you turn me into your scriptures, we're going to be doing a lot of traveling. We're going to go the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we're going to look at different things. And this one here will be our theme, basically, for what we're going to do and talk about. Uh, in Joshua 1.9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our gathering today. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that the words of my mouth be, would be the meditations from your heart as we speak today. We pray that, Lord, you would bind anything that's not to be spoken. We pray that you would release those things that the Spirit would have. And, Lord, may your Spirit speak to us today. May we hear things, Lord, that are directly coming from you and help us to be in the center of your will. Amen. I, I sh felt really good this morning. I shared with Lori a class that I took in 1974, and uh, she immediately said, wow, that's when I was born. <laughs> How wonderful, <laughs> you know. Uh, Felt real good. Started not to even tell her the story, but, you know, <laughs> I did it. Let's look at one word in the scripture. Now, there are two people today that are here, Brother Sharif and Brother Dale, who have a preemptive knowledge of what's going to happen today in, the, in our little talk and some of the things that are going to happen. And they were sworn to secrecy. By, at our Men of Hope meeting, that they were not supposed to say anything. I want you to look at one word uh, in this scripture in Joshua 1, 9, and, and that word is discouraged. Now, uh, 
we can also take that word and let it be disappointment. You know, being disappointed. Uh, let me ask you that question. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you? Uh, let's think of some examples. Uh, going to your favorite restaurant, finding out the things that you asked for is sold out. Lynn and I go to, uh, to Brewster's ice cream parlor looking for white turtle and we ask for it and they don't have it. So many things cause us to be disappointed. What was your greatest disappointment? Take some time and think about that. This morning we're going to take a look at disappointment and some of their outcomes. Uh, we know that uh, uh, things happen in our life that we have no control over and we are faced with them on a daily basis uh, health-wise, work-wise, relationship-wise. Suddenly we have disappointments. My biggest disappointment now is I can't move as fast as I used to. You know, my mind tells my body it can do it, but my body says, fat chance, it ain't happening. <laughs> and we all get to that. You know, we all get to that point. I used to be able to listening, listen intently. Now I say, huh? A lot? I, like, I read an article the other day, and the quote in there was that the fellow said, uh, my wife tells me that I don't listen very well. And I can't remember what the second one was. But sometimes disappointment comes in different things. We look at jobs. We look at uh, times when we were uh, wanting to get a job and it didn't happen. There were times when we wanted to get a promotion and it didn't happen. You know, uh, we were disappointed. We were disappointed. You know, it's like uh, I remember one time I, I felt so good but went to the doctor's office for my, well, they used to call it, they call it a physical. Now they call it a wellness check you know you get that once you make you know you cross over the hill there and my doctor came in dr flick and he said got good news for you bill uh you're not overweight i said well thank you he said but you're an inch and a quarter too short <laughs> so you know i was disappointed i thought man i have done made it you know i even sucked in my tummy a little bit, you know, and I thought I'd made it, but evidently, and I was disappointed. Now, I want to share with you one now that, uh, that you probably cannot imagine happening to you for those of you that are married. Uh, remember Jacob in Genesis 27? The complicated story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel comprises one of the larger sections, sections of Genesis. And it includes much information and the history and the relevance of the Jewish people. However, today we're going to take a look at only a very, very small section of that regarding Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Now we all know that the story of Jacob and Esau and the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, he fled to his mother's brother Laban. At the time, Jacob was feared that his twin brother was going to kill him. And it was at Laban's that Jacob met Leah 
and Jacob met Rachel. In Genesis 29, we go verses 1 through 10 on the meeting of Jacob and Rachel. And it says that in there, it says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return to the stone its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob asked the shepherds, he said, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haram. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? And yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came and with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it was at this point, how many have ever watched um, and heard someone say they were falling in love? Or love at first sight, you know? Sparks flying. You know, they said the, the stone was heavy. But if you take a look at the picture, it didn't bother Jacob. He said, I'm going to roll this stone away. And he did. And then Jacob uh, was allowing and helping the sheep to be watered. We find then that Rachel goes back and tells her dad that Jacob, Laban offered his, the nephew Jacob a place to stay. And it's continued, Jacob continues to fall in love with the younger Rachel, Rachel, and he agreed to work for Laban for seven years in exchange for the married. Laban agreed. On the night that Jacob and Rachel were to be married, Laban gave his older sister, her older, Rachel's older sister Leah to him as a wife instead. As we look at Genesis 29 and verse 25, we read, when morning came, there was Leah. Now, suppose you as a man are, are, is getting married, and you're down at the altar, you know. Groom's on the left, bride's going to come in and be on the right. Your bride comes down the aisle. She gets to the aisle and lifts the veil, and it's someone else. <laughs> what would you do? Would you be discouraged? Or wives, you know, think the same thing. You come to the church to get married and you start coming down the aisle and you look at the altar and there's someone else. There's someone else. The scripture says when morning came, there was Leah. Now, at the end of Leah's name is an exclamation point. And I researched that bad boy all through the scriptures. I wanted to make sure that what I was looking at was true. The exclamation symbol at the end of the verse. What does it, it, uh, it 
What's its, its significance? It's known informally as a bang or a shriek. Is used at the end of a sentence or a short phrase which is, expresses very strong feelings. Now, talk about a surprise. Wouldn't that be a surprise? You think he was disappointed? You think he was discouraged? He certainly was. We can't imagine the disappointment in Jacob that it was not Rachel. And of course, my question again was, how did he not know? And then I went back and did some more reading and found out that there's some possible reasons. Late in the evening, darkness, Leo wore a veil. Uh, at the wedding feast, could have been a little bit too much, too much wine. We do not know other than that Jacob is now married to Leah. However, his disappointment leads him back to Laban. And another agreement is made for the marriage to Rachel. Among the many love stories in the Bible, and that of Jacob and Rachel, a tale of love at first sight, also of trickery and enduring passion and jealous aim, their story comprises a large portion of the Old Testament. And while on the surface it not, might not be easy to understand the deep, deeper truth behind their complicated romance, it teaches us much about the vast and merciful love of God has for each of us by helping us work through our disappointments. And that's what God did for Jacob and God did for Laban, for Rachel. He helped them work through their disappointments. And you can go on and read in the history of the scriptures what happens later on about the lineage of, lineage of Jacob. Now, this one, I didn't look at it until all of a sudden I was reading and found out Jesus disappoints the scribes and the Pharisees. Think about that one for a minute. In John 7, 53 and 8, 11, records the touching story of a woman caught in adultery. But also the disappointment of the scribes and of the Pharisees. One day while Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts, some teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who they said had been caught in the act of adultery. Making her stand before the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? The scribes and the Pharisees were hoping to catch Jesus in a trap. In cases of adultery, Jewish law called for, for stoning, and that's found in Deuteronomy. If Jesus recommended that the woman be released, he could be accused of breaking the law or of treating the law of Mo Moses nonchalantly. On the other hand, if Jesus recommended stoning the woman, he would be breaking the Roman law bringing on the wrath of the government and giving the Jewish leaders occasion to, to accuse him. The Jewish leaders cared nothing for true justice, evidenced in the fact that they only brought the adul adulterous woman. Justice would naturally demand also that the adulterous man face the same treatment. 
instead of stepping into their legal, legalistic matter and snare, Jesus silently stooped down and began tracing his finger in the sand. The Pharisees and the teachers kept on questioning him and hammering him until he finally stood and said, remember what he said. Remember what he said? Certainly. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. John 8, 7. Jesus' response flawlessly preserved both Roman and Jewish law while uncovering evil intentions in the hearts of the woman's accusers. Bending down, Jesus returned riding on the ground. And what happened? The scribes and the Pharisees began dis became disappointed because suddenly they were starting to have to take account of themselves. There's a lot of things that says what Jesus was talking on the ground or, or riding in the sand. Some said he might have been doing the sins that had been committed. Others said that he might have been just writing scripture there. But they disappeared one by one. They lowered their heads and began with what? They began with the oldest ones and they walked away until Jesus and the woman was left alone. Now, when I read that, I thought, why would the older ones leave first? Yes. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, oh, boom. There it is. And they began to recount. And then as the older ones began to leave, the younger ones began to think about themselves. What has happened? What have I done? What what? are the sins that I have committed so I can't throw the first stone. Unlike the Pharisees who had no regret for the woman's life or the well-being, Jesus now cared for her most pressing needs. He did not condemn the woman but extended grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus simply asked the woman the question, where are your accusers? Didn't any of them condemn you? No, Lord, she answered. And Jesus reassured her with words of the grace and truth. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life from sin, John 8, 11. With her guilt and shame addressed, Jesus now offered her a new life. Forgiveness, go now, should lead to holiness and newness of life. Live your life fully and leave your life of, and leave your life of sin. Jesus disappointed the scribes and the Pharisees by not falling in their trap, but what he did was he created an avenue for forgiveness for the woman. Now, let's take a look at another instance of a rich young ruler. All of us have heard this story of the rich young ruler. In the Bible's four biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, exactly one person declines the invitation to follow me. 
What could possibly be so powerful or so insidious and ridiculous that it would compel someone to walk away from the chance of a lifetime? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine it? The most powerful thing that was at that time was money. That's what the rich young ruler had. We should pay close attention. The gospel describes the man in three different ways. In Mark, he's uh, is described as rich. In Matthew, he is described as young. In Luke, he is described as a ruler. Thus, be, thus he becomes better known as a rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, he approaches Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit her eternal life. Keep the commandments, Jesus replied. Which one, the man counters? And Jesus recites a number of the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament's call to love one's neighbor as oneself. The man replies, check, 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 I've got those covered, apparently thinking that this interview is going splendidly. Then Jesus, identifying the fact that this man's possessions mean more to him than anything else, drops the hammer. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he, he tells him, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away disappointed and sad because he had great wealth. And if you look at this picture, you can see the sadness in his face. But think what he gave up. He was so disappointed that he couldn't commit, but look what he gave up. And this is the only one that, he, that was asked in the gospel, said, follow me, that he did not go. He decided to stay with his wealth. But can you imagine, looking back on the other side, the disappointment that all of a sudden he has done everything, everything he knows to do. But it's not enough, but all he needed to do was take the one more step. We look now at another instance. And this one, I know you're familiar with, and that instance is of Martha and Mary. Mary and Martha knew and followed Jesus for almost three years. They saw his healing power and their home was a familiar resting place for him. With the loss of the lone male in their family, the sisters would become vulnerable and faced an uncertain future. So when they sent word of their brother's illness, they expected Jesus would rush to their side. Yet the messenger returned alone and the response from Jesus was a deafening sound of silence. Didn't he care? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed another more two days. To their ears in John 11, Jesus' silence screamed louder than his claim of love. His actions raised questions rather than provided reassurance. If he loved the family, why was Lazarus sick? Why didn't he come when they called? 
our questions reveal our tendency to measure God's love by our circumstances. Think about that one for a minute. Our questions reveal our tendency to measure God's love by our circumstances. God knows your circumstances. God knows your health. God knows what's on the outside of your body, even before the, and, 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 uh, that's there. He also knows what's on the inside of your body, even before that CT scan is taken. He knows what's already there. The disciples also struggled to understand until Jesus told them that Lazarus' sickness wouldn't end in death. Their hope, however, was short-lived. Two days later, Jesus announced that they were returning to Judea, knowing that the Jews wanted to stone him. When Jesus clarified that Lazarus was dead, fear and confusion replaced whatever comfort the disciples had. Nevertheless, with bravery and loyalty, they followed him to Bethany. Once they got there, Mary and Martha challenged Jesus. By the time Jesus had arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. According to tradition, the soul stayed near the body three days, hoping to reunite. Now, I have shared with some of you of being a field director. The facility that we worked worked at, and I worked at, handled the majority of the Jewish funerals in Raleigh. And I want you to know, for three days, I really behaved myself. Because I wanted to make sure that I didn't offend anybody just in case they were hanging around. I shared that with a Jewish lady who was doing the, the, the uh, prayers one day, and she said, evidently, you're not Jewish. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. But after the fourth day, the soul's not going to come back. But on the fourth day, their hope died. Mary and Martha's expectations of Jesus and their experience with him didn't match. Their sense of abandonment and have compounded their grief. Both women met him with the same challenge. Do you hear the disappointment in their voices when they said to Jesus, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine that disappointment? If you had have been here, my brother would not have died, or our brother would not have died. We all know the outcome, how Jesus turned their disappointment and grief into joy at the calling of Lazarus from the grave. Their disappointment was turned to joy. The last one we're going to look at is the road to Emmaus. Now, I know we've heard this story. I think Marty preached on it for some. We find two disciples, two followers of Jesus. We're going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked about those things, Jesus himself came and walked along beside him, but they did not recognize him. Jesus simply asked the question. He said, what are you all talking about as they walked along? And you can look at their faces. They stood still 
and their faces were sad. Disappointment had overtaken them. One of them, named Cleus, Cleophas, said to Jesus, Are you the only person visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know? Don't you know about the things that have happened there in the last days? And, of course, Jesus simply says, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in what he said and did in the sight of God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death. They nailed him to a cross. But we had hope that he was the one. He, with, he was the Messiah that was going to come and set Israel free. That was our hope. Also, it is now the third day since all this happened, and some of the women have amazed us. Early in the morning they went to the tomb, but they didn't find the body. So they came and told us what they had seen. They saw angels who said, Jesus was alive. Then some of our friends went to the tomb. They saw it was empty, just as the woman had said. They didn't see Jesus' body there. And, of course, Jesus said to them, he said, How foolish you are. How long it takes you to believe all that the prophet said. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then receive his glory? Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in the scriptures. He began with Moses and all the prophets. They approached the village where they were going. Jesus kept walking as if he were going farther. But remember, they tried hard to keep him from leaving. They said, stay with us. It's nearly the evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and he joined them at the table. Then he took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them, and then their eyes were opened, and Jesus disappeared from their sight. And, of course, one of the questions that they ask is, was not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven assembled and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, as appeared to Simon. Their disappointment led to an encounter with Jesus and realization that he was the Messiah. In closing, have you ever heard of Frank Carlson? Does the name Frank Carlson ring a bell? He was American visiting France and hoping to catch the boat for home. His car broke down, and as we say, he missed the boat. One of the great testimonies of redemption is that of J. Stuart Holden, pastor of St. Paul's Church, Portland Square in London. He was invited to speak for a six-day international Christian convention in New York, one day before his boat or ship was to sail, his wife became ill, and regrettably, he had to cancel and return the tickets. He was disappointed, and he was crushed. Mrs. Holden's illness and a resultant canceled passage immediately, sparing them great trauma. There were two other ministers headed for New York for the convention who also missed the boat that April the 10th because of unforeseen circumstances. There was also a missionary family, the Nesbits, returning on furlough from India, who missed the boat due to her family illness. 
Those who missed the boat on that faithful sailing all experienced God's gracious mercies. Do you know the name of the boat they missed? But they were so disappointed that they missed their boats. They missed it. And look what happened to the boat. Some of the biggest blessings in our lives come of the result of missing some boat we really wanted to be on. God's ways, however, are always higher than our ways. As it says in Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Remember, in your dark times, watch for Jesus. He still comes with power, bringing hope. Let us pray. Father, thank you today for this time together. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you that you care enough for us that you leave us your word that may be a lamp unto our feet and a light on our pathway. We pray, Lord, today that you would help us all to work through our disappointments. And also, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do your will on this earth to take our task of what you've called us to do. And Heavenly Father, we so much thank you today for everyone that's here, all of that have participated, and all, Lord, who have come, and we hope that they have been blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.